Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Small Biz Gone Viral, a show about the small businesses we all love and the people behind them. I am Grant LeBeau, and this is episode 52. It's 52 weeks of recording. I'm tired. Wait, did I get you there? This isn't really Grant. This is Sydney Badger from episode 23. Go listen. It was a hoot. We got to talk to about my business, Public Habit, a slow fashion brand out of Seattle, Washington. And I got to talk to my very dear friend Grant about what I do. Today, we have a very exciting episode in store because I get to virtually, figuratively turn the mic around and interview the interviewer, Grant LeBeau, founder of Make a Day and Recaroons. That or he's out of the job because this is also my interview for hosting the podcast. I'm very excited for you guys to listen to the very, very warm, wonderful Grant LeBeau and talk to him all about what he's been through in the last year plus. Yay! Today's fun fact is from Reuters. The Biden administration officials said the government plans to reimburse small businesses for the cost of giving workers as many as 80 hours in paid time off to get their shots or recover from any vaccine side effects, up to $511 per day missed. Time now for facts and figures. Every week for the past year, Grant has touched on three measurables, COVID, unemployment and the stock market. I'm not an expert on any of these, but I'll do my best. We've lots to get to, so I'll be quick. Good news. Unemployment went down again this week to a 13-month low of 547,000, moving in the right direction, but historically relatively terrible. Some bad news. The number of daily COVID vaccines administered in the US actually dropped this week for the first time to just under 3 million. It seems we've entered a new stage in our fight against COVID, where supplies exceeding demand particularly in red-leaning parts of the country where vaccination rates remain low. Some good news, stocks remain in record-high territory, weird, though they did dip at the end of last week on the news that the Biden administration wants to increase capital gains rates for people making more than a million dollars per year. While the red-hot stock market is really only directly good news for the half of America that owns stock, the increase in capital gains would theoretically theoretically help the other half of Americans through funding of childcare and education. I promise I'd make the segment short, though, so let's get to our interview. Okay, so my guest today, very exciting. My guest today is a two-time founder of Rick Roon's, a delectable snack company of coconut-based treats, co-founded with Grant's dad, Rick, and Make A Day a virtual event platform allowing you to learn and experience from the craft masters from wherever you are, a business truly born out of the pandemic. So I'm excited to dive into that with him today. He also, for those who didn't know this, is an ex-water polo playing hottie from Brown University, who I just so happen to know from my college days. Grant, thank you so much for making time in your busy schedule to be on your own show. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, yes, we are having you to talk, to flip the script and talk to you a little bit more about your story. So going to dive right into it. I want to hear more about Rickaroons and how you got started in 2013 before we get onto your current venture. Tell me a little bit about the founding of that company and your very first rune. So Rickaroons, I guess the, by the, the, the very name of it uh, was kind of an, an accident or a placeholder, which I feel like is symbolic of the company as a whole. Uh, there, was, there was never a business plan. There was never a long-term plan. There was, hey, these, these cookie things that my dad makes, and my dad's name is Rick, are really good. People keep on saying they would buy them. Okay, great. Let's let's make some and sell them at our at our farmers local farmers market, and it basically just kept on incrementally escalating from farmers market to local juice bar, local coffee shop. Find a co packer, continue to scale, n- n- overpay for everything <laughs> because you don't know what you're doing when you're. Oh gosh, I was twenty, twenty four, twenty five. 
and basically just started as a side gig. We both had other jobs. We both were uh, working Monday through Friday, and but but had but flexibly uh, way back before uh, work working from home was a, a ubiquitous descriptor, and. Yeah, my my dad and I were just a, a two man show. We would get we would get orders on our website that would be they would have to email us. We would take each we would make each order to spec. We would make put them in Ziploc bags, put them in pizza boxes, ship them. We would do all of that. You know, spend like an hour and a half on a single order, all to lose five dollars. Uh, <laughs> it was like. <laughs> the absolute <laughs> definition of the true minimum viable product. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's how we got started. But just so in my head, I've got a very romantic vision of you and your dad working together. You wake up in a sunny day in San Diego and you hit the surf. That's the first thing. That's what happens. You father and son, you're out there crushing some waves. And then you come back and you're like, oh, I'm hungry. Let's make some runes. Let's eat some runes. And then let's pack up our orders for the day and then we're going to hit the farmer's market and go you know you know sell our wares so is it a little bit like that or not you're, so you're much not, like that you're not super far off i mean basically the, the recipes were an evolution from my childhood where and there, there's a, a much longer story that i can I'll, I'll, I'll spare everybody but basically it's my dad was a, a vegan triathlete who developed his culinary skill set sort of out of necessity because there wasn't uh, a Whole Foods, you know, on every street corner. Um, the, his options were limited uh, from a commercial standpoint. So he developed his own recipes and they kept on evolving. And eventually, you know, he was he was giving them away to friends and got positive feedback. Mm -hmm. uh, and let's see, it, at this time, we were living a couple of blocks away from each other. So it was pretty easy to coordinate and and start on this you know <laughs> down this road that we had no idea would uh where where it was really headed and when and you formally decided to start a company with your dad at some point though so what how deliberate how easy of a decision was that the way that that question is phrased makes it seem like there was a deliberate decision <laughs> <laughs> i almost feel like i just woke up one day and i was eight years into a company with yeah. my dad and now my sisters. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. That's all for a whole nother podcast that we'll need to talk about. So flash forward about six, seven years, you guys have been, you know, crushing your waves and then making your homemade runes. And then you start scaling it up from farmer's markets to, I guess, a commercial kitchen, I assume. Yep. Um, you start probably growing your channels, but give me the lay of the land of where, Rickaroons was circa kind of late 2019 and as you were thinking about 2020. Sure. So the first few years, well, so, well, first of all, we stopped baking at home very early on because you just can't bake at home. A, like legally you can't make more than like, I think $10,000 a year uh, gross revenue. Uh, and then B, of course, you just can't like you literally can't bake enough to meet the demand. So we found a co-packer um, the first few years, I think maybe first three years, I think it was still somewhat of a side gig for both of us. And then at one point, the uh, I was at our local rock climbing gym and I had a little pop-up booth at one of the competitions there. You know, a play is the type of event where if you made 150 bucks, it was like a booming success, right? It was more of just getting the word out, hey, I'm a, we're local, we support us, et cetera. And a guy came by the, our table and started asking me questions about certain types of certifications and manufacturing capacity, and basically just questions that the average individual, the average consumer doesn't know to ask and probably wouldn't really care much for the answers. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, he asked enough of them to where I was like, who are you? You know, <laughs> where are these questions coming from? And he was a couple of years younger than me. Turns out he was a buyer at the local Costco office. The local Costco office was the buyer or was the central um, location, buying location for uh, San Diego and actually like the greater Costco region. And turns out he went to my high school 
and turns out he was looking for a small company to shepherd through the onboarding process as sort of his next merit badge to collect as he moved up the corporate ladder at Costco. So it was it was uh, very serendipitous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when basically he helped us for the next year get all of our ducks in a row to get to start doing Costco roadshows. And that was when I, I look back at that as being a, a serious inflection point in our company because the potential at Costco just so far exceeds anything that I've ever come across. You could be nationwide in, in Whole Foods in 400 stores or and still have your volume outdone by 10 costcos wow it's it, like it's just incredible because they only carry a few products w- within each category and people are buying boxes rather than single units so it's incredible so it, i mean it was just a, a gift from the heavens right you've got kind of so, scale scale built into that that you wouldn't have had yeah. even with a Whole Foods kind of operation. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. And actually, we kind of at one point made the decision to let, because uh, we were actually in Whole Foods, and we actually made the decision to let that go so that we could dedicate more time to, to Costco. It was kind of putting more of our eggs in one basket, but the potential upside was just so much higher. It just seemed like the right decision. And it's a decision that I would make again. Mm-hmm. But to, to get back to your question as to the timeline, at the end of 2019, we were doing Costco roadshows, uh, probably, I think... They they book it in uh, four month increments, and so uh, you figure 120 days. I would say of those 120 days, we were in a Costco doing a road show, like maybe 110 of those days. I mean, we were there just nonstop, and so basically, you show up Monday morning at 7 a.m. You set up your booth, you bring in all of your inventory. You're there open till close seven days in a row, and then Sunday night, you pack it all up in the car, take it back to your warehouse, and then you you know start again the next day. So we had a pretty serious operation uh, in terms of, well, relative to our scale. Uh, we had maybe 15 people who were working for us. We had just this amazing group of special event staff, all these local college kids who were getting there. <laughs> we had a, a, a drastically overqualified work workforce. It was fantastic. We had people who were getting their master's in nutrition and, and, and uh, about to enter med school and people waiting the results of their um, of the, the California bar exam. Like people were amazing. We had such a good group. Wow. And the heading into 2020, what we were planning on doing was basically doubling the amount of road shows that we were doing. We were hoping to get be an inline item, which would mean that we were actually there full time, as opposed to just um, just selling from our from 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 our booth at the at Costco's. Mm-hmm. The other components of our growth strategy for 2020 were focused on uh, Silicon Valley and basically selling into offices. Uh, which is just a fantastic mm-hmm. category to, if you can get a foothold there, it's amazing because you only have to make that, um, you only have to convince really one person that it makes sense, right? If, if the office manager or the person in charge of customer or uh, employee retention or, or whatever, if they like your product and they bring it into the office and everybody likes it, then great. Mm-hmm. They're, we're talking about like, you know, LinkedIn and Facebook and Netflix, like, Yep, not Amazon. Company. They won't. It, it, <laughs> yeah, not Amazon. But basically, companies that are trying to get their their employees to just stay on campus mm-hmm. all the time. And if they want to, you know, spending five thousand dollars on energy bars is a drop in the bucket to them. Not even a drop in the bucket, right? That's yeah. so that that basically between Costco road shows, in person events, uh, and the 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 selling into offices. And then scaling up our juice bars and coffee shop wholesale accounts. That's where our focus was. Our focus was not on the world of grocery or e-com because both of those are very saturated markets where Mm -hmm. you have to have a lot of money to invest, I think, in order to truly like set yourself apart. And you have companies like Cliff Bar who are just willing to just throw so much money to and bid up the cost of AdWords that it's really expensive. you know, to advertise even on Amazon. Yeah. And as far as grocery stores, you're when, once you get on the shelf, especially as a small company, you're going to be shoelace height. And because Kind Bar needs 50 <laughs> linear feet of shelf space with their 37 SKUs, and you know, they're basically trying to elbow out the the upstarts like us. And so you're literally competing with like 500 other bar options 
Yep. Whereas if you're at Costco, you're competing with three or four. Yep. So how um, much of your business end of 2019 would you say was driven by physical retail outlets? versus um, Let's see. So I guess the inverse of that is how much would be e-com. online. And I would say at that point, probably maybe 10% was online. Okay. And maybe... Five percent was grocery stores, and the reason why I highlight those two is because those are the two categories that did relatively well yeah. through the pandemic. Were yeah. online and grocery, um, and we had not not focused on either of them. So essentially, we were poised for disastrous results if there was a pandemic. So as we get into that, let's take a brief pause, and uh, I'd love to hear from you in true small biz gone viral mode. Who is not sponsoring the episode today? Today's show is not brought to you by Siva Foods. That's S-E-V-A Foods, uh, obviously SivaFoods.com. They kind of are, are into this like snacking redefined niche where they do a, these amazing coconut jerkies. Obviously, they're plant-based. Uh, they have a, a, a lime one. They have a, a savory one. And then if, if for everyone who, who really knows me, they know that I have a, quite the affinity for ice cream. Um, normally... Uh, I'm more of like a, a super premium ice cream guy, someone who like, likes that, that heavier milk cream. This one is actually freeze-dried ice cream bites. So uh, it's basically known as, as space ice cream. And of course, that's, K, that's ice cream with a K, space ice cream. Um, it's, it's truly out of this world, pun intended. Sorry, I'm working on my dad joke, Sid. Uh, anyways, it's amazing. So good. Siva Foods, uh, run by this amazing woman named Michelle May. And uh, just 10 out of 10 would recommend. Also would 10 out of 10 recommend going to smallbizgoneviral.com to check out all of the other on sponsors from our, from the entire season. Uh, I guess with this one, there will now be 52 unsponsors from the guests and 52 unsponsors by me. So that's that's 104 different small businesses that our listeners can go support because that is what our show is all about. So you've got a thriving in-person business, you've got this amazing community, you've got 15 overqualified employees plus, um, and, and then COVID hits. It's March 2020, and as you mentioned, that was potentially one of the worst things that could hit the kind of business that you were in. Uh, what is the first impact that you felt on your business in the pandemic? The first email that I remember specifically was from Costco, and they had pushed, they, they canceled our road shows, I believe, two weeks into the future. So basically through the, through the rest of March, they were canceled. And that was obviously very disappointing to us. And as luck would have it, we had spent the first two months of 2020 sort of doing the, um, the less than stellar locations and had backloaded our next two months with phenomenal locations. So basically we had like broken even doing the road shows for the first two months. And then we were looking forward to just absolutely crushing it at, at all of our favorite locations. Um, and I should have established this, this before, but a road show for you guys was actually like an important revenue generator. It wasn't just a sampling station. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we, we generally broke even most, um, probably 50% of the time we, we broke even. And then, Actually, that's not true. Probably more than that. We we would make like a, a little a little mm-hmm. profit, um, but you also have to like if if you're if you're even just breaking even day of, you think about the the ripple effects of that because now like it's driving online sales, it's driving awareness. Yeah. Not that you can pay your bills in awareness. That's one of my least favorite yep. terms in the industry, but uh, it is it is certainly an ancillary positive effect yep. of of doing those in person events. Yeah. So. So you basically thought you had a two-week pause. <laughs> yeah, we thought we had a two-week pause, and that was disappointing. Right. What happened next for you guys? Gosh, it's 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 almost like what didn't happen next, yeah. because what was left was a sort of a, a vacuum of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, we the the juice bars and coffee shops that slowed 
to an absolute trickle. Offices just not even a trickle, just that that faucet was shut off completely. Roadshows, obviously the two weeks turned into here we are at 56 weeks in as we record this to the pandemic and into, or at least into the Americanized pandemic. Mm -hmm. And it just became this, uh, it was, it just became this like series of, uh, of, of silences is almost how I would look at it because it's not like people are, are reaching out to you saying other than Costco, customers don't reach out to you to tell you that they're not going to be buying mm-hmm. right wholesale accounts don't they're not going to oh hey we should really reach out to rickaroons and tell them that we're not buying something right every two to three months like we normally do yeah. no that, that, the, everyone has bigger things to worry about everyone's going through their own pandemic experience so it was a lot of quiet. more like what do we do now that we have all of this inventory on hand. Mm-hmm. Oh, but oh, that too. We had just committed to a huge production run because Costco was coming, you know, was Costco was, was flourishing. So now we have all of this product that has a shelf life. So, and we're, and you're paying for storage fees and you have customers who not only are, do they, are they not ordering as frequently, but like they're turned off completely. And it got to the point where if you were reaching out, especially those first few months, if you're reaching out to someone they were almost offended that you were reaching out. So it was like, what do I do with my with the normal time in my schedule that I allot for sales? I'm reaching out to to the to all of the types of accounts that we have honed in on as being our ideal best types of partners over the last eight years. And now those types of those customers are like, seriously, why are you calling us? Yeah. we're just trying to keep the lights on. I just, you know, I'm talking to, to managers and owners because they're now the frontline staff because they've had to lay off everybody else. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like going door to door to sell Girl Scout cookies and the whole neighborhood's on fire. People yeah. are like, what are you doing? It's just, and so it, we sort of shifted our outreach to basically a very human to human connection at least that this is my my goal. I, if if any customers are listening, let me know how this actually you know was uh, was received. But the goal is basically reaching out and being like, "How are things going for you? Is there anything we can do? Because things are terrible for us." And basically just kind of wearing wearing that vulnerability on our sleeve, and doing what what we could to to work with anyone who was, um, and and work with. I really just mean just maintaining those communication channels. Yeah. I guess. So given all that, I mean, the obvious question would be, how did you tackle e-commerce in this time? Or did you almost deliberately say, we're going to find other ways to to work with this inventory, this, you know, limited shelf life inventory we have? Well, a lot of that inventory ended up going to Grocery Outlet, which we... It, you, you you take a loss on that inventory, but at least you're getting something for it. Yep. Because, you know, the, the value of expiring food, you know, when you, when you first make it, it's full, worth its full value. And then once it gets approaches its shelf life, it gets it all it just drops off a cliff. Mm-hmm. So that's how we, we solved that inventory problem. Um, as far as finding other revenue sources... We, I sent out a, a very heartfelt email to everyone in my network and people responded. They were so supportive. This was also, remember, this is like during it in the first few months or it was, it was so new. If I sent out that email now, people would be like, yeah, we're all going through this. But at the time, I, I think it was, um, people were really making a concerted effort to, to shop small and kind of prop up their local communities. Um, the the email that I sent out it I think we had our we had our best two months ever through on um on with online sales both Amazon and um and with with our website directly that very quickly though dropped off because you know Aunt Aunt Monica is only going to buy so many boxes of Rickaroons right. Your, your college friend is only going to buy so many. And then by the nature of the pandemic, people are staying 
at their house. Well, you usually you, you use energy bars, trail bars, protein bars, generally when you're out and about, right? And you don't have time to stop for a meal. So the use case for our product was dwindling. And I think category sales, this is another thing because we talked to, with Costco and asked if there was room for us to, to become an inline item, meaning we're on the shelf mm -hmm. 365, not just when we're doing the road shows. And they said that their categories, their, their bar category sales were down like 40%. Interesting. And that was, that was pretty much across every, um, every channel said that their bar sales were down like that, whether it was, it was, uh, even gro grocery, uh, the big box stores, and then e-com saw that as well, uh, because people are just at home. So they can just make, make a normal meal, right? You're painting a pretty bleak picture of what was a very bleak year and continues to be really challenging. Were there any bright spots that you would bring attention to? Not really. It's been a really challenging year. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would say our, our sales at their bottom were down like 85%, mm -hmm. 90%. Um, you know, you think about the juice bars and coffee shops, they were either m mandated to close or just, you, you know, tumbleweeds were blowing down the street. And if there's no foot traffic, there are no sales. Yeah. And, and on top of that, we're an impulse item. So people are buying online and they're not standing in a in a line at the cash register and if they're ordering ahead of time they're not they're not picking up those impulse items which is kind of what what we are generally mm -hmm. so at what point it sounds at what point did um either ppp and all kind of like the operations of headcount and revenue really come together for you guys to have a serious conversation about what you wanted to do to yeah, I, I think without the PPP, let's see, I don't, I don't know what to say about that because I, we've we've leaned pretty heavily on the PPP and the idle, um, which is the, so the the PPPs are are forgivable, the the idle is not the EIDL is not, uh, but it's very it's like a I don't know one percent interest rate, half a percent interest rate. So between those two, we've been able to to keep moving forward. One project that we have been working on is that I guess would be the the single bright spot, and it's just now coming to fruition. Is working more into the the world of private labeling, meaning mm -hmm. we we have these we have what I think is the most delicious bar in the in its category. If you like coconut, but we're a small company with a small marketing budget, and so getting the word out is difficult. So if you can partner with a brand who already has a very established customer base and an identifiable brand then you put their name on your product or or develop a special line of um, of flavors for them and you take care of everything on the back end and basically just deliver to their warehouse a few pallets of of finished goods with their name on it it can be a a, a big win-win for both of you so that's something that we are like literally just last week we received our first purchase order after six months i think of of working on that and that was just a total gamble no contract no anything just a ton of r d a ton of meetings and that it could have just not panned out uh you know so far we've had one purchase order no it, we haven't even <laughs> it'll be another 10 weeks or so before that product gets delivered to their warehouse so i don't know yet how i don't know what the end of that story is going to be we think it's going to be huge, and if it is, then if it's as big as we think it can be, it could be, it could make like this whole year worth it. Um, and if not, then I guess it's just a great learning experience, and I've can add to the skill set and uh, a bunch of other <laughs> kind of soft positive experiences that don't help pay the bills. Yeah, there's um, yeah, that's the the kind of the constant underlying part of the entrepreneurship journey when you're taking a gamble on stuff is what part of the story will this be? Will this be a turning point or will this be a learning moment? I think that's actually a phenomenal question. And one of the, yeah. the kind of the, the crux of 
being a small business owner in sort of that startup phase where success or even survival is not guaranteed yet. And you don't know, is this a tragedy? Is this a comedy? Is this is this sort of a, a, a documentary? You know, like basically, am I going to make it? What part of the story am I in? Is this right before I give up or is this right before I triumph? We're recording this on April 16th. And as you mentioned, I think you said, what, 56 weeks into the American pandemic, if you will. I mean, you must have had a lot of time to reflect. I'm curious to know on a personal level, um, how would you kind of describe the like emotional journey of the past 15 months? I, I think that I'm generally... Um... I would say I'm generally just like a cautious optimist. I think that my my sister describes me as a golden retriever, just like kind of always happy and like moving forward uh, with like a a general positive frame of mind. But there it's, it's, it's certainly been challenging. I mean, there's looking, especially when you, when you look at how much time I put into this over the eight years prior to, or the seven years prior to the pandemic and the grind of those seven years, the year eight was supposed to be the big payoff. Like we had all of these things kind of teed up. We had a we had, we had one little anecdote that I think sums things up. We had there there are two stores. Uh, there's there's a chain of coffee shops. They have two stores in San Diego. We've been in them for maybe three years. They're two of our best accounts. March 1st, they reached out to us about being in 30 of their Southern California stores. We talked a little bit. By the time we actually got on the phone, it was like March 18th. All of that was canceled. And then those two stores didn't order or haven't ordered since then. So it's like not only did we not grow to where we thought we were going to, but also we drastically contrasted. So I said we were were down maybe 85% year over year. But we're like, we're down 90 something percent from where we thought we were going to be, mm-hmm. right? Because we thought we were going to double. And all of those years of kind of grinding and just like sque- eking out a paycheck, it was for that big payoff. And that was supposed to be this year. And so I think that's something that when you're comparing it to what could have been, that's a really dangerous path to take your brain down. But it's one that's mm-hmm. really hard to avoid, I think. Um, so I think I definitely... Definitely went through some of that. Um, having the private label project to work on has been great. And then also just having a very supportive network. And I'm very fortunate to have a partner who is so supportive, who is supportive beyond my own inner monologue sometimes. And I think there are times where I kind of start digging into a, a hole of despair and it's having my my wife pull me out of that, who say like, hey, listen, I, I have the stable job. You're the one who's like, you're taking the big swings right now. And if I need you, if our family needs you to dial it back and go, you know, be more conservative, take that nine to five, I'll let you know. But until then, like you keep pushing, you keep driving, you keep swinging. And that's that's been something that I, I've been very cognizantly aware of um and and thankful for throughout this process that's so awesome i think the next podcast that you host needs to be to the partners of small business owners tell Mm. us your experience to all of the players (laughs) of the world yeah yeah or clearly yeah yeah just we all need to write claire a thank you letter oh she would love that (laughs) but in getting back to your question i've been really lucky because of my network of both family who I work with every day. And then also this podcast has been, has definitely helped kind of meet that extroverted need of mine. And also, uh, you know, the, the, the message of this podcast is basically like if, if you're a struggling small business owner, you're not alone. And that message is, is an inbound one as well as outbound. Yeah. I'm curious, given your 52 episodes so far of this podcast and that the breadth of the people that you've spoken to do you are you hopeful about the future of small business or are you does it are you actually a bit of a pessimist on that great question i think that 
the people who I have had on have been from a, t a ton of different industries, a ton of different. Ge I mean, we've had people from from Singapore, we've had people from Chicago, we've had people from uh, you, know, you in Seattle. Like people are all over, right? Some of whom I I know from college, some of whom I know from from elementary school, some of whom I I have met through the show. You know, obviously the first ten guests or so were all friends, and then the show started to grow, and I very rarely know who my guests prior to having them on now. But what's amazing is like how they, even though they they sell different widgets, right? Like some some are selling software as a service, some are selling, uh, bar you know bars or clothes, you know slowly slow shipped <laughs> clothes custom made for you you know with a 45 day lead time coming from china some are, have restaurants like but at the end of the day they're all humans doing their best adapting on the ground and generally keeping their heads up and i feel like there's a a certain type of crazy that is required to be an entrepreneur and because of that i feel like I'm very hopeful because people are just are naturally good at adapting to the hardships and circumstances that come that come up and not dwelling. And I think that the one of the consistent themes that I've heard is for people for for especially for for those who are kind of in similar shoes to mine, they've used this time as an opportunity to streamline operations expand sales opportunities beyond their pre-COVID channels. And post-COVID, in theory, assuming they can survive that long, there's an opportunity to grow beyond where we were pre, or where we would have been because we've now laid the groundwork and put effort into channels that we wouldn't have otherwise. Great answer. Yeah, I think I always get got a little bit concerned. You know, we had a similar conversation about private labeling within the fashion space to you guys in the grocery space. And, you know, the obvious, you know, question remains is like, who has cash at the end of all this? Is it just, you know, five big companies? Um, but to your point, like it does take a certain amount of crazy and there's a lot of innovating happening at this moment. And I think that leads me to, to ask you a little bit more about your new concept, Make a Day, that clearly seems to have been born out of this time yeah. and these interactions with with masters in their craft. Of uh, so, tell us a little bit more about Make a Day. Sure. So, Make a Day is a project that I started basically after being inspired by the guests who I've had on this show. Um, so, Make a Day is, and let's just say it's mkrday.com. Yes, mkrday.com. Um, so basically, born born out of necessity is, is the is, um, the need to find a way for for groups to have bonding experiences because they don't get to do that in person day to day. Whether it's uh, team building just inside of a company or uh, client entertainment outside of a company or even uh, alumni like reunions there's a need to bring those people together. And so I created Maker Day, which is basically uh, Zoom experiences that combine a, a tactile experience for the most part. And so you think of like a, a, a wine tasting. Okay, great. Everyone, you know, you can hire a sommelier. They send a, a bottle of or a couple bottles of wine to everyone in your group and then leads the, the, the Zoom wine tasting. Well, we do that, except... All of our experiences are led by the small business owners themselves, not salespeople or sommeliers or basically hired staff. It's always the small business owner themselves. And my feeling is that the, there's an extra level of value there when you get to speak to the maker themselves and they share sort of their entrepreneurial experience and, and spirit um, inside of that 60-minute Zoom. And then... Most of the, the classes also teach, uh, or the, most of the experiences also involve a, a, a learning a skill. So we have a kombucha experience where you, you, you meet the master, the, the master brewer of a local San Diego kombucha company here. And he's one of the, one of the, um, one of the owners as well, as they all are. 
you do a tasting, you learn about what kombucha is, you learn about the brewing process, and then you and then he walks you through how to brew your own batch right there on the call. Um, and th- this was born kind of of a couple to to. It, I basically took a lot of the lessons and the pain points from Rickaroons and tried to solve for them using Maker Day. So, and it, it's very complementary to Rickaroons in that if in person, as long as in person experiences are are shunned <laughs> or are, are not really viable, then Maker Day is a great idea, right? And if Rickaroons takes off again, then maybe Maker Day isn't. Um, isn't as necessary, although I do think that there are plenty of use cases for it beyond COVID. Well, it also sounds like you're, I mean, you've taken almost the Costco Roadshow to the home with even more of an interactive experiential aspect. Right. And I think that's kind of what what makes it special. But also one of my goals, especially coming, you know, having heard the story from so many people is like, I want to create a way for small business owners to get paid for their for what the what their actual value is and get paid in money not get paid in exposure or experience or kind of these other like cheesy ways that people tend to especially like big corporations just tend to like ask a lot of small business owners like hey come share your story and then in exchange we'll put you in front of this big audience it's like i'm providing you a value and so that's what i've I've worked with all with these i think i have maybe 13 or 14 different small business owners right now uh, to create these like very, very unique, very personal experiences where they're sharing um, you know, kind of the, the magic of small business um, in a way that I don't think is, is accessible to most people. I mean, it seems like, a, especially when, you know, content truly is still king, if you will, like you've mm-hmm. got endless opportunity to to kind of monetize these people's expertise for them to your point and and you know decouple it from like these traditional models of of exposure and brand building etc i mean i think about like the opportunity for that within social media as well and why we follow influencers it's because of their taste making or whatever it is so i think that there's there's clearly something in that storytelling that's uniquely theirs. So it's pretty compelling. And I mean, we're we're still pretty early on. Um, we we just finished our our sell sheet, <laughs> although we've been running these experiences for the last couple of months. We we've been constantly ad- adapting and kind of micro pivoting over the last uh, two months or so. And so I feel like we're we're just starting to. Um, to expand our sales pipeline and and targets outside of just word of mouth and mm-hmm. just my my you know, people within one degree of separation of me, so I don't know. Maybe, I guess we'll have to have to find out in like three to six months here just how good of an idea it is. But conceptually, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, again, I think as you've mentioned, all of these things that you do as an entrepreneur, all of these experiments that you make are always a bit of a gamble and you know to your point of being in a rock climbing gym circa what was it 2017 17 that was pivotal for Rickaroon's business you just got to keep trying right um yeah yeah because I mean with with something like Maker Day I feel like they're basically sort of two types of startups there's like the lifestyle startup and then there's the the Silicon Valley value it at $10 million without any revenue, raise a ton of money. And then in three years, it's either going to be zero, you know, it's either going to be defunct or it's going to be worth a million bazillion dollars. And then there's, you know, going back to the the first one, it's a lifestyle business. And so if you can make half a million dollars and you have a really good margin on it, like that's an incredibly successful business. And with something like Maker Day, if it's, if I'm aiming more for that former then yeah, you get one company who likes to use your services two times a week. Boom. That's a, that's a sustainable business right there. Yep. Yep. I mean, certainly, certainly to your point, like people are taking, taking this time to like learn new models and kind of bulk up on, you know, deficiencies in the digital world. Like I, I think it's kind of interesting sometimes to think how digital we thought we operated 
pre-COVID and then to really be forced into an entirely digital world and realize like how much we had to learn in that space to run and operate businesses. Um, yeah. I mean, even just you, I use Zoom now for no, when it's not uh, strictly required, right? Like I, I'd never had face-to-face calls with people and now I schedule face-to-face calls all the time. I'm saying face, digital face-to-face. Right, right. Where it used to just be phone calls. Yep. Now it's like, hey, do, can we set up a Zoom? Yep, yeah. And, and this idea that you could have a meeting of people versus sending them to an expensive conference in this really awful <laughs> big big the room, in the, middle, room. Exactly yeah. in the middle of nowhere and charge them 500 bucks to go, like that's a thing of the past which yeah 500 or 5000 yeah that's true oh 5000 okay well i i need to i've got a couple of really awesome questions from your researcher kaylin that i really want to ask you before um i let you go um but she has obviously been with you i think almost since the beginning of the podcast and she wants to know since you've completed an entire season of the best podcast ever have you <laughs> been able to find any similarities between all or most of many of the small business owners you've talked to? Yes. I feel like the more I do this, the more I feel like small business ownership is really just a game of Mad Libs where you're <laughs> you're filling in the product and you're filling in your name and you're filling in your, your sales channel, but there's so much overlap in terms of the human struggles of what you're doing and and not even like struggles like you're going through and you know you're not i don't know do it going through the organ trail in 1850 i mean struggles just like the day-to-day um self-doubt and the day-to-day uh issues of like you know motivating yourself as being the small business owner and when you don't have someone necessarily to answer to other than yourself um you know these these little things that are in some make up the uh, the small business entrepreneurial experience as a whole people just have really really similar um stories and and kind of personal experiences um that are i think important at least for in my mind to connect with other small business owners so just to hear that like you're you're not alone mm-hmm. um and that is kind of a a, a community of people who who can understand each other yeah yeah we're basically all the same <laughs> yeah and it, the obviously i'm not trying to take away from everyone's unique experiences because that's what makes this that's what makes hosting this show so enjoyable for me is hearing all of the unique aspects of every of everybody but um you know i guess caitlin's question is about like what what are the similarities yeah uh, there so are a lot yeah there, <laughs> yeah there are a lot yes and then she she also wants to know um you know, as a huge advocate for small businesses like you are, um, as it, you know, as seen through Make a Day and this podcast, do you have any ideas or unconventional ways for broke individuals, her words, not mine, like college students, to be able to support small businesses, especially during a time like this? Yeah, I think people uh, maybe undervalue the impact that that strongly supporting on social media, um, like writing, writing a really good Yelp review for a small business costs you nothing other than maybe like 10 or 15 minutes writing, giving someone a a shout out on, on Insta, like in your, in your story or going live when you're eating the most delicious, you know, small batch ice cream you've ever had and giving them a shout out like those are the little things that might get one or two of your friends to buy something and those those little like ones and twos for small businesses go a really long way so even if you're a broke college student or just a a thrifty human who's on a budget just telling people just just helping like spread the word uh is worth so much paid advertising Mm -hmm. because people people trust their friends so if you if you have a product that you believe in and you want them to succeed, obviously the the best is to buy something, but maybe even just as good, or actually maybe not obviously the best, maybe even better is to just be a huge verbal um, proponent of of the small businesses that you want to support. Well, Grant, we are all very very lucky to have you 
in our lives <laughs> is that and we elect you to be the president of small businesses for ever and ever and ever more you're the best advocate for this amazing thriving group of of businesses and it takes people like you to kind of remind us all why they're so special so tell us um, before we let you go aside from listening to this podcast obviously how can our listeners best support you and learn more about what you're working on well i guess that's the the perfect segue from your from the last question right i mean the the easiest way is spreading the word if you <laughs> if, if you like this podcast share it with somebody if you like ricker runes share it with somebody and it, you know the, the most recent venture i mean obviously like buy ricker runes rickeroons.com that's by them my, my, now my they are delightful Rick. yes <laughs> uh i know that was your your podcast uh guest prep snack yeah it was my fuel it was del yep. delicious um so so rickaroons.com it's my dad's name is rick r-i-c-k and then a runes like rick and macaroon combined so rickaroons.com uh we're on instagram of course facebook everything it's one of the nice things about having a weird name like rickaroons is you can get that handle on everything uh and then small biz gone viral you're already listening to this and then lastly would be Maker Day. And what we're looking for for Maker Day, what would be the most helpful would be is if you know anyone who's like a director of people, uh, if they work in HR, if they work in, in sales and marketing, um, and they're, they normally entertain guests or they're entire in charge of team building, team bonding, uh, anything like that basically anyone who would who could use a, a virtual experience as a way to bring together a group of people let me know uh you can go to makerday.com it's m-k-r-d-a-y or you can email me at uh the letter a a to z a to z uh at makerday.com love to hear from you that's awesome thank you so much for spending some time with me it's been really fun to get to flip the mic around on you oh my gosh sid thanks so much for doing this i, I had so much fun this I, I have to be honest i was a little bit or i was way more nervous about doing this than i am about doing my my normal my normal interviews being on the other side of the mic you're a natural both sides of it well thanks sid well there it is folks thank you so much to my guest grant lebeau of rickaroons make a day and of course small biz gone viral that's why we're all here you can check him out at rickarins.com makeaday.com mkrday.com and of course you're already listening to his podcast how did i do this isn't about me this is about grant it's time now for my own sponsor aka a small business doing everything right they don't pay for a shout out they don't even know it's coming but they deserve one Today's show was not brought to you by Elenos, a family-run Greek yogurt company out of Seattle, Washington, that I have loved for the seven-plus years that I've lived in Seattle. It is the creamiest, most delightful, most delectable mm, Greek yogurt you've ever had. It's a cross between, like, creamy, creamy gelato and, like, healthy Greek yogurt with, like, the consistency of a gelato but then like the health factors of something more like a faye or however you pronounce it anyway they're delicious and i believe that they do ship nationwide check them out at elenos.com e-l-l-e-n-o-s.com speaking of shopping small check out smallbizgoneviral.com for a rapidly growing list of unsponsors and the small businesses run by our guests there are now over 100 businesses listed that you've probably never heard of, but guaranteed will be impressed by. So vote with your wallet for the world you want to live in and shop small. Thank you Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates for the theme song, stats and stories from Worldometer, NPR, Robin Hood Snack and Morning Brew Daily News emails. Statista and my wonderful researcher, sorry, Grant's wonderful researcher, Kaylin Kwan. Thank you for listening into my conversation with the one and only Grant LeBeau. I'm so grateful for the community he's built and stories he's shared, including mine. If there's anyone who will encourage you to stay positive and carry on, even in the year like we've had, it's this guy. I'm Sydney Badger, and this is Small Biz Gone Viral.
we're back with a quick bonus segment. This was my favorite when Grant interviewed me. So I get to interview him with a lightning round of three quick questions. Grant, first question. What's the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself as an entrepreneur? I think that, and this might amuse a lot of question, or a lot of uh, my friends from early on in life, but I, I would say uh, humility. I think I've had to address a lot of my own weaknesses head on. And so it's, it's kind of easy to kid yourself when you're looking, until you're looking at like a flat revenue curve, forced to ask why it's not going up. And as a small business owner or a solopreneur, um, any business shortcomings are basically just a direct result of my decision making and skill sets or, or lack thereof. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about working with your dad? The, I feel very fortunate. Um, I, the, I'd say the biggest pro is just like the ability to communicate freely when working with family. Um, that of course has the, there's a flip side to that coin. There's a, a it comes with a cost because the normal reserved nature, I think of like an intra office communication style that usually prevents big blowups. Uh, <laughs> but you know, when you, when you communicate very directly and my dad and I are like very, very similar, I think, I think I'm just him basically like 30 years younger. Uh, but I think that overall the, the benefits far outweigh the cost. And I think it's, um, important to be aware of the potential to sacrifice professionalism in sometimes in the, in the heat of the moment when working with family. Yeah. And then finally, what is the biggest stereotype about being an entrepreneur that is actually true? Okay, good question. I think that I'm going to lean a little bit on the answers of all of my guests over the last year or so. Um, I think it's a, a two-part thing. One is flexibility is the most obvious answer. Um, I think that the ability to, to craft what you are doing on a day-to-day -day basis is something that is really challenging and rewarding. And I think that the second thing is that you get to sort of express yourself through your own creativity um, in a way that, and those, those two kind of tie together, obviously, but it, in a way that if you are just clocking in, clocking out, you're, it's going to be difficult to replicate in a nine to five. Great answers. Bonus, bonus question, because I used up all my time. What is your favorite thing about being an entrepreneur? At this point, my favorite part about being an entrepreneur, besides the flexibility and the creativity, is the people who I meet in the job because I get to meet people who have such like similar, maybe not interests, but uh, outlooks when you're when you're working with other small business owners, especially in Maker Day. Like having every time we schedule something, I am like beyond ecstatic because a it's something that I am building and it's a reflection of like my own you know sort of success and and ego but also i'm working to give or to to create a business opportunity for another small business owner who i've at this point basically considered to be a friend because that's, that's what small businesses are right we're all, we're all just a bunch of friends here <laughs> and it sounds super cheesy but it, it really is like one of my favorite parts about being um especially with maker day that's awesome such a lover Sid, thanks again for doing this. This thanks, is thanks so for having, fun. Th thanks for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. <sighs>